0: Uh, this past year, uh, several of you know, uh, knew uh, this gentleman from our church, uh, Billy Newsome. Uh Billy had moved down to Augusta about a year and a half ago. So some of you may didn't know Billy, but a lot of you did. And Billy was an important part of this church for the entire time I was here. He was here before I got here. He was here all the way through until he moved down to Augusta. And uh, I, I had the privilege of doing Billy's funeral not all that long ago. And if you didn't know Billy, he was... Um, uh, sweet dear man who was uh, in the Marine Corps. Uh, he had a horrible accident when he was in war. He stepped on a landmine. Uh, it ended up taking one of his legs and then his other leg had to be amputated many years later. And so the entire time I knew Billy, uh, he was either, you know, canes and, and walking that way or later in his life in a wheelchair all the time. And I knew this because I knew Billy well. And if you knew him really well, you knew he was in terrible pain all the time. He was on a morphine pump, he was on all these things because of the pain from his legs and what he had gone through and all that had happened in his life. Uh, but if you met Billy, you'd never know that by just meeting him. Because he would wheel in here and he always had a giant smile on his face and he would give out money to kids and he would help everybody and he would serve in different ways and he would do all these incredible things and he never complained about any of it. And it was such a cool testimony as you got to know Billy. There were many days that I'd go sit and talk to him. I talk to his wife, Grace, and she'd say, he's in a lot of pain today. He's really struggling. And I'd go sit down with him and say, Billy, how are you doing? And he'd smile and go, I'm good. And he'd always have this big smile on his face. And he was always that way in everything. And Billy was this embodiment of having a joy that was not dependent on his circumstances. He was in real physical pain all the time. And yet he had the joy of the Lord in his life. And as you got to know Billy, Billy, and you understood why that was the case and what it was that he was, why he was smiling and why he could operate that way even in the midst of what he was dealing with. It was incredible to be around. It was uh, appealing to be around. You wanted to be around him. I don't know if you've ever known people like that that have this joy that kind of radiates in everything. Right, Even when things aren't great, even when you know things, are, and I don't mean that there's not hard times in your life and I don't mean that there's not times when you're frustrated or struggling. That's the experience of all of us. But there was this deep abiding joy in him in all things. And I thought about him this week as I was reading this passage and thinking about what Jesus says here in our passage. He's gonna tell us some things and he's gonna say, and then right in the middle of this, he says, I'm telling you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And if you've been with us, you know that Jesus, we are now to the last few hours of his life. He's about to be crucified just in a few hours. He's been meeting with his disciples in the upper room and he's been spending this time with them in these last few minutes before he's going to be arrested and taken away. And he's encouraging them and he's telling them and he's knowing they're about to go through a really, really difficult few days and a difficult season in a lot of ways. And yet here he is talking about this deep and abiding joy that is available in all things. And so I want us just to think about how that's possible. How is it possible to have joy that supersedes everything? That even in the darkest times, even when things are difficult, even when you're in physical pain, even when things are difficult in your life, that you can have this joy that comes from Jesus and you can have it in fullness. And he's going to tell us in this passage how that's the case. You know, this morning we just started uh, at the nine o'clock hour, how to study your Bible. And so we're going to do that through through October. And so if you didn't come today and you want to come to the rest of them, please come. You're welcome to be part of that. But as we go through that and we start to think about how do we get at the meaning of a text and really wrestle with it, one of the things that we will look at in the coming weeks is that you look at things that are repeated, repeated words and phrases, and it alerts us to what's important. And so we start to go, well, how do we have this deep and abiding joy? And you read through this text, it'll... excuse me, all of a sudden you'll see that Jesus says the same thing 11 times in 12 verses. 11 times in 12 verses, he says, abide. He's gonna say it over and over, abide in me and abide in my word and abide in my love. And he's gonna say it over and over and over again. And he's alerting us to how we have this deep abiding joy, how we have all these promises that God gives us. And he says, the way that that comes is you abide in me. And so I want us to think about that together this morning. And I want to just ask these questions as we do. And I think this is pretty important. If he tells us that there's this joy available and we can have it in fullness and we can have it in our lives, and he makes this connection with abiding, it's pretty important that we ask, well, what does that mean to abide? And so the way I want us to look at this text is first, I want us just to think about what does it mean to abide? Secondly, how do you do it? Right? How do you grow in this? How do we, how is this possible? And then lastly, I want us just to think about what happens when we don't and what happens when we do, because there's actually a fair warning here about what happens when we don't. But then there's also great promises of what he says of happens when we do. And so I want us to look at that together today as we do. So what does it mean to abide? How do we do it? And then what happens when we don't and what happens when we do And So let's look at that together. As we jump into John chapter 15, let me just remind you, we've been in the the last few hours here. We often refer to John 13 and 14 as the upper room discourse. Jesus had gathered together with his closest disciples to share a Passover meal with them. And they're meeting in an upper room in a home in Jerusalem. And they're there celebrating this meal together. And we've looked at that for several weeks. He washes the disciples' feet he institutes the Lord's Supper. He talks about how Passover points ahead to the Lord's Supper, and it's all pointing to Jesus. And he led us through chapter 14 last week, talking about uh, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in our life. And he's saying all these things. But then if you look closely, you get to the end of chapter 14. It's actually chapter 14 and verse 31, the very last thing he says. He says, rise, let us go from here. And so kind of technically, the upper room discourse now shifts And sometimes we talk about this in chapter 15 as the farewell discourse, but they get up and they leave the room. They go out. And if you know anything about uh, where they were and where they were going, we know that Jesus leaves from there and he leads his disciples down and they go to the garden of Gethsemane where he prays. And as he cries out to the father there and then Judas shows up and betrays him and then he gets taken away, but that's where they're going. So they go from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you look at a layout of Jerusalem and what was happening there, they left the city and they kind of went down, zigzag down the hillside back across and they go across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. And along that way as they go and they kind of make their way through, it's an area of vineyards and they're walking through. And that's where they're walking as Jesus is talking to them and he's saying these things and he's, he's pointing things out. And all of a sudden it makes sense that he's talking about all these things. And then all of a sudden we get to this text at the beginning of John chapter 15. Suddenly he starts to talk about vines and branches and all these things. I think part of that is Jesus is doing what he always does. He, he's speaking the truth and he's telling them with the things that are right in front of them as they go along the way. And so listen to what he says here in chapter 15 verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you start to see why the shift, why he starts to talk about vines and branches and what's happening as they're going along the way and these things are surrounding him. But I want us to think about what it is he's saying. What's he talking about when he talks about abiding in Him, And there's two things that I want you to consider right from the beginning as we think about what it means to abide. There's an assumption that he's making that has to be true for you to be able to abide in him. And I think you see that in verse uh, 3. That in order to, to abide in him and to get to the analogy he's talking about, that we're the branches, and we're abiding in this vine and we're connected to him, you actually have to first be connected to him. But look at what he says in verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And I think in essence, what Jesus is saying there is that because you've put your faith in me, because you're trusting my word and who I am and the way I've revealed myself to you, that you're already connected to me, that you're clean, that you're good with God because of who I am and that you're putting your trust in me. Now, if you go back a couple weeks ago, if you were with us in John chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. And you remember what happens? He gets down on his hands and knees and he starts to wash their feet. And Peter says, no way. You're not washing my feet, Lord. Because it was an incredible act of humility for Jesus to do that. And Peter's kind of like, you can't do that. Uh Uh-uh. We're not having that. And Jesus says, yes. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter quickly switches and he goes, well, so wash my whole body. And he goes, no, 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 you don't have to wash your whole body. You're already clean. And what he was telling him, and I think it's the same thing he's saying here, is that you've transferred your trust to me. You've put your faith in me. You're transferring your trust from your own performance to who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's what saving faith looks like. I say that all the time. That Saving faith is transferring your trust from yourself and what you do into Jesus and what he's done. Sometimes we talk about the gospel, the good news of who we are in Jesus. It's not due, uh, but versus, it's not due, but it's done. It's not what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. We're saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done for us. And so the first step of, of trusting Jesus, of knowing Him in a saving way, what we often refer to as justification, being set right with God, is transferring your trust from what you do to who Jesus is and what He's done. His sinless life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection, all of that pointing to that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, all of this is how we take that first step into faith. We put our faith in Jesus and who he is. And so it's why Jesus can say, you're clean already. You're clean, you've got this because you have heard my word and you've trusted what I've told you and who I am. And so that's the first step. To abide in Jesus, you have to get connected with him. Really, because abiding is staying connected to him staying with him and who he is and trusting him. And the first step is, is coming to that understanding. And so that's the first part when we start to think about abiding. But then when he starts to talk about what does that look like, he's almost making that as the assumption. You're already clean, but now I want you to abide. I want you to stay connected to me and everything. So what does that mean? Or how do we begin to do that? When we say, well, what does it mean to abide? And I want you to look at what he says here. He says that you're, you're abiding in him. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he talks about uh, if you keep my commandments, verse 10, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And I want you to think about sometimes we talk about uh, justification. So set right with God. Right? By grace, your faith, you are good with God because of what He's done and we're putting your faith in Him. But then sanctification is growing up into the fullness of who you are in Jesus. Right? So it's a process. You, you come to faith, right? You, you, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you're saved and God brings you into His family and He gives you the Spirit and then He begins to work that out in you. And so as He's working out that sanctification in you, you're staying connected to Him. And we're seeking to be disciples. We say this all the time here. If you've been at our church at any given time, say, we're about discipleship, making disciples that make disciples. And then I almost always say, and what we mean by discipleship is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. And that's a pretty good definition of abiding, growing in obedience to Him, staying connected to Him in everything. Saving faith is transferring your trust to Jesus, but then abiding and continuing to walk in him is not just an assent to certain doctrines. It's not just saying, I believe these things, but it's actually reorienting the entirety of your life around who Jesus is. That's what abiding looks like. Now, none of us does that perfectly. None of us becomes a believer and then is perfectly abiding in every way and trusting him in everything. But abiding is continuing to seek to reorient our lives around him and staying connected to him, trusting him in all things. And so that includes obedience. That includes repentance. And I say that knowing that in our culture today, those are not popular words. We like to say uh, Jesus loves us and we wanna talk about Jesus' love and his care for us. And that's true, he does love us and he does care for us, and that is true. And we love to say that. We love to say we wanna care for people. We wanna meet them where they are. We wanna love them. That is true, absolutely, yes, and amen. We're called to do all those things. But truly abiding and truly loving others is then also calling people to repentance or repenting ourselves, turning from the things that are not true about who God is and trusting him more fully. It's also obedience. And we don't like that. I'm just None of us in the sinfulness of our heart likes the idea of obedience. I've actually had people tell me that when I say that definition for discipleship. Right? I've actually heard that before. I say growing as a disciple is growing in obedience to Jesus. I go, why do you have to use that word obedience? You know why I use the word obedience? You know what the Great Commission is? Go make disciples of all nations, Jesus speaking, the last thing he says before his ascension, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. It's Jesus's definition of discipleship, right? So if we're going to obey Jesus, then it calls for obedience. That's actually part of it. In fact, if you look closely to what he says here about abiding, he says the same thing here. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And there's a clear connection there about trusting him and following what he tells us and obeying him that keeps us connected to him. Now that doesn't mean that we're unconnected in our sin and then now we have no connection with God. His forgiveness covers that and that's why we need repentance and we need to continue to trust him but staying walking with him under his wing with him in all things. We're continuing to trust him and what he tells us to be true in all things. And so when we start to think about what it means to abide in him, it also means growing in obedience. It means keeping his commandments, obeying him in all things, reorienting our lives around Jesus. It's not just being able to give the right answers of certain doctrines, but it's actually living your life in the way that Jesus tells you to. Now, how do we do that? It's not easy in a world that is diametrically opposed to so many of the things that Jesus calls us to. We're bombarded constantly with other ideas about what it means to live and what the good life is and what it looks like. And Jesus stands in stark contrast to that in a whole lot of ways. So how do we grow in that? How do we grow in abiding in him? And so the first thing I'm gonna say to you is what he says in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. He tells us that abiding in him is having his words abiding in us. And there's an important part when we start to think about what does abiding look like, it means that you're going to be in God's word. You're gonna be connected to Jesus who is the very word of God, but realize that Jesus as the word of God and God speaks his word and his word goes out and he creates and recreates through his word. His word is Jesus. And that the words of the Bible are the words of Jesus. And that we are connected to him when we are allowing his word to stand over us and we're having it dwell richly in us in all things. And we desperately need that. We need to be abiding in what he tells us over what we think and what we feel in and of ourselves. We need his word correcting us and encouraging us and setting us on the right path. As soon as we ignore that, we are bombarded with so many messages all around us. It is so easy for us to move away from him and not be abiding in him. But he says, but if my words abide in you and you abide in me and you have my word in you, then you will bear much fruit and all these things come in line with that. And he uses that wonderful analogy of the vine and the branches and you stay connected to him by keeping his word at the forefront of your mind. Proverbs chapter three says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. God calls us. He says, You come to me. Right? All throughout the Bible. My word is pure and it is clean and it is right and it will nourish you. And the one who who uh who continues to come back to my word is like a tree planted by the stream that's fed all those analogies that the Bible uses. And so when we start to think about well, what does it mean to abide? I can't say this any more clearly. You cannot abide apart from God's word. It's not possible. You can't go, well, I'm a believer and I profess faith and I'm good and now I'm never going to go back to God's Word ever again and I'm going to set that on the shelf and then live in the fullness of what Jesus has created you for. It's not possible. And so the first step when we think about what does it mean to abide is it's abiding in His Word. But then as we begin to abide in His Word and He begins to conform us to His image and we start to live in those ways, then we go, well, how do we abide? we begin to live for his glory versus our own. And Jesus even says that here. He says, you abide in me and my words in you. And by doing this, you begin to keep my commandments and you glorify God. You show what he's like. You show that he is of supreme worth above all else. And your life starts to conform to that. And I want you to please hear this because this is really important. Sometimes we can hear that. You can hear obedience and you can hear, read God's word and this is what it looks like. But you miss that what Jesus is saying is that when you begin to operate that way, way, you're abiding in his love and you're growing up into the fullness of what God created you for. And his commandments are better than your way of doing things. In his infinite wisdom, he showed us how his world is made and the way he's created us and the way he's made us to live. And he's not telling us these things to be like, you do these things and this is this is my heavy burden that I'm laying on you. It's from his love that he's saying to you, this is the way I've made things. This is the way I've created you. This is what you're made for. And as you begin to recognize and see those things, your your whole life shifts to instead of being about you and your feelings and what you want, it's God and his glory and you were created for this. And so when you want to abide and you start to think about what that looks like, you spend time in God's word. You begin to reorient your life around not living for your own glory, but for God's glory. It's a good question to ask. Why am I wanting to do this? What am I after in this? Is it about me? Am I placing myself right in the center of it? Or do I want to make much of who God is? Because when you're making much of who God is, you're abiding, right? Right? You're right there and you're starting to see who he is and you're going, I want it to be all about him. And so when you start to think about how do I abide, you begin by spending time in his word. You begin to seek to see him as being central in all things. But then the third part I would say is what he says in verses nine through 13. So look at what he says there. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I want you to think about what he's saying there. We start thinking about what does it mean to abide in, In Jesus, and how do we do that? We abide in His love. But I want you to think about the words He uses and what He actually says here. He's saying, I want you to abide in my love. And He says, as you do, you're gonna, uh, keep these commandments. And then He says, this is the commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And I want you to think about what Jesus is saying and what He's getting at. He says, I want you to live extending the grace that you have received. We say here a lot at Church of the Apostles, we wanna be gospel-centered. Say gospel-centered, we say gospel-saturated, say gospel-fluent. Do you know what that means when we say that? The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, right? That, That we have rebelled against God, that we deserve his judgment, that we have been separated from him because of our sin, but God has come to us and done for us in Jesus what we could never, ever do for ourselves, Jesus entered into this world and he took on flesh and he lived the life that we haven't lived and he did it perfectly. And he obeyed the father and all of his commandments in every single way in the entirety of his life. And he came to the end of his life as the perfect covenant keeper. That is, he kept all the promises of God. He kept all the commandments. He did all of it perfectly. And as such, he deserves all the blessings He's the only one who's the perfect covenant keeper that kept all the commands that God gave. And he comes to his life and instead of taking the blessings that he deserves, he says, I will become a curse for you and I will take your sin upon myself and I through my grace through faith will give you the perfect life that I lived that you didn't live and I will give you all the blessings that I deserve that you didn't deserve and I will do it for you. And then he willingly goes to the cross and he bears the perfect righteous anger of God on our behalf because of our sin. And he lays down his life for us. And then he says, this is what it means to abide. That you love others the way I loved you. The only way that is even remotely possible is that you understand the good news, the gospel, and what God has done for you, and you begin to live out of that. It's the only way that can happen you see who he is oh, i can't believe the god of the universe would do this for me and then he sends the spirit and through his grace he begins to change you and you get to show that to other people you get to love people in the way that jesus has loved you i don't know if you've ever considered this before i hope you have But you loving people in the way Jesus has loved you, that means giving them better than they deserve. Right? Grace is giving undeserved merit. And so when you meet people in your life, and they're ugly to you, when you do as Jesus tells you, and you turn the other cheek, and you go the extra mile, and you continue to love them, and you continue to meet them with where they are, and instead of looking down on them with disdain, You go, they desperately need what Jesus has given me. Right? That's what it means to be gospel centered. To be gospel fluent. That I see every person and everyone and everything through the lens of what Jesus has done for me. And He's given me everything. And when you begin to do that. (laughs) <laughs> there are things that can only be revealed by the Spirit. And that's, uh, uh, even our understanding is God's grace. But the only way, right? So when we start, I want you to just really think about that. When you do that, when someone's ugly to you and you choose that I'm not going to respond that way, you are abiding in Jesus' love. You're starting to see that no, 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 the, the way that these things change, the way that God works, that he reveals himself to us by this grace that he's given us, it's the way he changes our heart. And when we start to experience that and then we start to live it out with others, that is evidence you're abiding in his grace. You ever think about that that way? That instead of re- responding in kind, you respond with better than someone deserves, that that's, that's the work of the spirit in you. In that you're a bi- That's amazing, isn't it? It's so contrary to my flesh. That has to be Jesus. Right? That's not what I want to do in and of my, myself. That has to be the spirit moving. But then as you see that, you know what will happen? And you start to follow him in that. He actually uses that. I've seen it happen. He changes people's hearts right in front of you. When instead of responding in the same way, you give them the grace that they don't deserve. That God gave you that you know you don't deserve. And instead of looking down on people, as like, I can't believe they're such a mess. You go, they're just like me and they need Jesus like I need Jesus. And the only way that happens is staying connected to him and who he is. And seeing the gospel in your life and in every way. And as that happens, it flows not just because I have a duty that I have to do this. There's a true and real affection that he's changing your heart. That's why he can say here. That's why he can say in the middle of this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. How is that possible? Because he's changing you from one degree of glory to another as you stay connected to him. And he begins to make your heart his heart. And the things that he's going to do that are going to bring glory for him for all eternity, he's beginning to turn you into being that. And we get to be part of that. Do you understand why he can say this and then say, I want my joy to be in you so that you have the fullness of what you were created for, that you have the fullness of this joy because this is how you were made. And if we don't do those things and we ignore him and we don't spend time in his word and we don't start to look through things through the lens of the gospel, we become disconnected from him and we miss that. We miss the fullness of what we were created for. And so I want you to think about this just two ways. So what happens when we don't and what happens when we do? Take the negative first. What happens when we don't? Go back to verse four. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And I want you to think about what he says. He says, you disconnect from me. And what happens? You wither and die. And that's literally. It's spiritually, but it's also physically in every way. His one rule. You trust me. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't want to know what evil is. Trust me on that. Right? And he says and if you do, if you ignore me on this, you will surely die. And I go, ah. We can do this. And they ignore him and they rebel against God and they disconnect from abiding in him and trusting in him in all things and they do exactly what they de- tells them not to do and what happens? Spiritual death and then physical death. Right? What happens in Genesis when they they eat of the tree? Remember what it says? all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they were ashamed. Immediately, immediately the disconnect, immediately spiritual death, immediately all those things when you're not trusting in what God has told you and suddenly they all come flooding in. And then eventually they physically die. And I want you to think about the analogy that Jesus uses here because it's perfect. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Have you ever trimmed your trees? Or your shrubs before? I just did this a couple of weeks ago. Not even thinking about this passage, but I just did this in my front yard. I trimmed back all these branches on these trees that were growing crazy, out of control. And you know what happens when you cut them? You go out and you cut them off and you look and they look perfectly healthy when you cut them off. And you look at it and the, the leaves look great and you, you see where you cut it and there's moisture and it's healthy and you're like, look at that. And you throw it on the ground and you go back to cutting. Go back to that branch in a couple of days. And it's starting to dry out. Go back in a week and all the leaves are dead. Go back in two weeks and it's like you can pick the leaves up and crumple them in your hand and they turn to dust. They literally die because they're no longer connected to the source of life. And Jesus says, that's exactly like you and me when we disconnect from Him. And so you cannot read your Bible, you cannot do the things that God tells you, you can continue to go about your life, but you're shriveling on the vine. Right there, you've been cut off because you're not going to him in all things. I'll tell you, I say this all the time to people. For years as a pastor, people come to me and they go, I'm really struggling. I'm having a hard time. I'm down, I'm frustrated, I'm struggling, whatever it is. And I say, how's your time in God's word? And almost always it's like, "Uh, I'm really busy. I don't have much time right now. I go, well, how's your time uh Praying how's your time talking to the lord well uh, maybe in the car on the way to work sometimes slip in a prayer i go what does it look like community with other believers right now oh i'm so busy right i go okay and usually we go to john 15 and we read the beginning of that and go how do you expect this to go right there's things that jesus clearly tells us that this is what it looks like and this is how you abide in me and this is how you walk that you spend time with other believers and that you encourage one another. Don't neglect meeting together as the habit of some. All the more as the day is approaching, right? That's what it says in Hebrews. The more and more that we get towards the close to Jesus's return, the harder it becomes. You desperately need to be together. Abide in me and my word in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, when you pray, pray like this. All these things that he assumes that are what connects us to him. And we throw those out the window and then we go, man, I'm really struggling. It's because we're not trusting what he's told us is true. And staying connected to him and abiding to him in all these ways. And so what he says is you will be like the branch that's cut off and it's gathered up and it withers and then it's burned in the fire. And I want you to get the fullness of what he says. You're not saved by your works, but the Bible is very clear. If there are no works in your life, then you don't know Jesus. That's the truth of the Bible. You're not saved by your works, but your works are evidence that you know Jesus. And if nothing in your life changes, you went to camp when you were a kid and you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer and you said that and then nothing else changed and that's all your faith looks like, you probably don't know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus and you know who he is, he changes you. Not all at once. You're not suddenly perfect. You're a work in progress, but he begins to change you from one degree of glory to another. And so what he says here is if you are disconnected and there's nothing and there's no fruit and you're withering and dying, the expectation is that when you stand before him, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I think that's what he's talking about when he says you'll be burned up. But what's the other side of that? As you begin to put your faith in Him and you trust in Him and you reorient your life around Him, you abide in me and my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you hear that? Abide in me, ask whatever you wish. That's an amazing statement, is it not? That Jesus is saying, you stay connected to me and I will change your heart to reflect my heart. I will change you from one degree of glory to another to begin to look more and more like him. And as you do, he gives you the desires of your heart. Right, you know, in, in Psalms, it says that. Delight your ways in him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. How does that work? He changes your heart to his heart. He gives you the desires of the things that he's going to do. And his glory is coming in fullness. And you begin to give your life away. And here's what happens. There's going to be a mess in the world always until he returns. It's going to be a mess. In fact, he says here at the end of this passage that the world's gonna hate you. If you abide in me and you orient your life around Jesus and you trust him in all things, you're gonna be out of step with the world. He said, just expect that. But you're also gonna have a fullness of joy. How does that work? Because you begin to see his glory and it shines so much more brightly than anything else. And he's conforming you to his image. And his glory and what he's doing. And you're trusting him in all things. And he's using that for his glory. And you're beginning to see those things. And you go, yes. And when bad things come and when things are hard, you go, that's okay. I'm going to praise you anyway. I see where this is going. And I see where this ends because of who Jesus is. And he continues to do that. And you can have a fullness of joy in all things. Even in spite of circumstances. And so I'll end here. I told you about our friend Billy at the beginning. Uh, I'd say pretty much every conversation I had with Billy the last five years, he would say, J.P., I'm so ready to go home to be with Jesus. He had a joy that superseded the pain that he was in, but he also had a clear vision of what was coming. And he's like, there's nothing that's going to take that. And I'm going to continue to trust, and I'm going to continue to do so, And I know that it's coming and I'm gonna be so glad when it does. And so when we do what Jesus is telling us to and we stay connected to him, we can begin to live that way. We have a future hope that overshadows everything. And when that's the case, we can live for him each and every day knowing what's to come. Oh, would that be all of us? Would that be our heart as we seek to follow him? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We confess that so often we read your word and what you tell us and we simply don't abide. That we ignore the things that you tell us. Would you this day show us the areas where we're not fully abiding in you? You tell us the spirit comes and convicts us in the areas where we're missing it. Would you show us that clearly today? You also tell us the spirit comes and points us to Jesus and what he's done for us. And so I pray if there's those here today that feel I'm not abiding and I'm not doing it, would you remind them that they are accepted because of what Jesus has done, not their performance? Would you overwhelm us with the glory of your grace, knowing that we are saved by what you have done for us and nothing else? Help us to see that afresh today. But then we also ask that through the spirit, you would empower us to follow you completely, in all things, to reorient our lives around you, staying connected to you in all ways and in all things. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.